hear Dr. Samuel Parkinson preach after we heard uh, from him this morning, share in his, uh, just in the Sunday school time about everything going on in their call to uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, Samuel it was one of the pastors of Emmaus Church in Kansas City. It's a, a Southern Baptist church right down the way in the city for, for five years, and he was a pastor, one of the pastors of our dear friends who are here with us. There's a, he's got a mini entourage here coming to hear him preach. You know he's a good preacher when you've got people traveling all the way up here. They love him so much and are so thankful for his ministry to them. And I'm thankful for uh, your ministry uh, over the years to good friends. Um, Sam is the husband of Shannon, who's here with them, uh, and also their three children, Jonah. Henry, and Lewis. Uh, He's also the author of, of, I think, two books right now, one on actually leading corporate worship through song. That's one thing he didn't mention. He he actually did that at Emmaus Church, um, which is is really neat that he has a book on that topic. Be encouraged to read that. Uh, And then another one, I think, on Christian thinking and worldview that's just coming out. I think another one on the way on the beauty of Christ is what I saw, potentially. Praise God for that. What a blessing. Uh, for, for that ministry, writing ministry um, as well. And so he's been a, a teacher and pastor, and he's going to continue to teach, um, going and um, just about a little over six months ago, I think, accepted a position to go to Abu Dhabi uh, to be the director of the campus there, um, um, Gulf Theological Seminary, as he trains up uh, pastors and and different uh, church leaders to to go throughout uh, the world to proclaim the the gospel. As many of you just saw and heard during the Sunday school hour, if you weren't here, highly recommend you um, checking that out um, later, watching it or listening to that to be encouraged and caught up uh, in the ministry that that him he and his family are called to soon. And so I'm excited to be able to hear him preach the word to us. Um, and uh, let's just welcome Samuel. Uh, to come take the pulpit and to preach and to encourage all of our of our hearts today. Thank you, brother. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you here today. Uh, if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open up to Romans 15. I'll just say a, a quick word about my voice. I... I'm getting over a cold. I told this to the Sunday school class um, today. I don't think I'm super contagious, but you might want to mind your distance just in case and, uh, and say a prayer for me that I can <clears throat> get through the, the sermon uh, without losing my voice entirely. So uh, turn your Bibles to Romans 15. I'm going to say a quick prayer uh, before we begin, and then we'll jump to it. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that we are not left to wonder about what your will is uh, for this planet, for your glory among all the nations because you've told us. I pray that you give us ears to hear this morning what it is you would speak to us. I pray that you would water the hearts of those who hear your word so that the seed that is sown in my weakness may be raised in your power. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Speak, Lord, for your servants are here listening. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as uh, Pastor Daniel said, the reason I'm here this morning is that our family has recently been called overseas to do great commission work in the Middle East. And we are seeking partners in the advancement of the gospel as we go there, brothers and sisters who can link arms with us as we depart, uh, both financially but also in prayer. I'm excited every time I get to share about this ministry because it means that there are more believers that can be encouraged about what's happening in the Middle East and also who can be praying for us as we go there. So we're heading over to the United Arab Emirates where I'll be teaching theology at the first and only evangelical seminary ever in the Arabian Peninsula to ever exist. Um, So we get to be a part of history that God is writing over there. Uh, GTS, the seminary that I'm teaching at, is about six years old. It started in Dubai with a class of 15, and it has steadily grown to a student body of 150 students, and there are currently more students there, more believers coming to Christ and desiring to be trained up for gospel ministry than there are qualified pastors who can Uh, qualified uh, professors who can teach them. So we're eager to go over there and serve in that way. Uh, Let me tell you why this is so exciting for me. It's exciting not only because it's it's a a strategic location um, to reaching the Middle East, but also because the nations are coming to the UAE. It is one of, Abu Dhabi is one of the most truly international cities in the world. And those who are coming are eager to go back to their home countries to plant churches and to preach the gospel. So it's right in the heart of the 1040 window, which is, if you've never heard of it before, it refers to the section on the global map that is covering a segment of the southern hemisphere that is one of the most densely populated and under-evangelized regions of the world. And I think we have a, a picture um, for you if, you want, if we want to put that up on the screen. There it is. So uh, this, this map um, it puts, it gives you an idea of the region of the world that is reached with the gospel. Um, that is the green areas. And of course, when we say it is reached for the gospel, we don't mean that every, uh, every uh, city there is uh, totally evangelized with Christians all over. And we're not even saying that those countries are countries that are by and large Christian in the way that they do things. What we mean is that If you are born there in those green regions, you have access to the gospel. There are churches that you can go to. There are neighbors that you have that know Christ and can tell you about Christ, whether you're a Christian or not. And then there are those yellow portions, which uh, signify regions of the world that are a little bit uh, more difficult for you to hear the gospel. You may or may not know Christians in those regions. You may or may not have access to the gospel in those regions. And then we have the red, and the red are those areas that are so underrepresented by Christians that in all likelihood you will be born, you will live out all of your days, and you will die without ever hearing the gospel. If we want to go to the next slide over here. Oh, also, just real quick on on that, one of the important things for me to emphasize right now, this was pointed out recently um, to me that 99% of the world's Uh, missions dollars, 99% of the world's 
Great Commission um, missionary dollars are poured into green areas. You think that doesn't seem to make sense. I think you're right. That doesn't seem to make sense. The red areas are actually getting redder um, when you look at birth rate of the people who are being born there who, who don't have access to the gospel. And the green and yellow areas are getting yellower and redder as well. And so uh, this will continue. This trend will continue. We, 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 don't, we don't doubt God's sovereignty. His church will never be snuffed out. But we also want to... Uh, wants to see those red areas get yellow and then green. And so that's where we're going. If we want to go to the next um, slide, this is a zoomed-in portion on, uh, of the Middle East. That's our region right there. If you see that little dip up where the, the gulf goes into the, uh, into the Middle East, that little um, T up there that, that almost uh, turns the, the gulf into a lake there, that's our region right there at the very tip. That is the UAE and that's where we're going. So we're going to go to a red area. We're going to go to an area where there are people that are, uh, there. it is densely populated and it's under-evangelized. And this is also a region surrounding the UAE it are some of the most dangerous countries on the planet and some of the most closed-off areas to the gospel. And so uh, it's, it's hard to reach. There are regions in, uh, there are countries in this region that are hard to reach for the gospel. Um, and yet... Where we are going, right there in the UAE, there are people coming um, to and from those regions of the world, those other countries, um, freely. And there's an open door for us to go and preach the gospel there. There's an open door for us to train up gospel ministers there who can go back to their home, co- home countries, hard to reach places, places that would be very difficult for Westerners like you and I to get to. Um, they can go back to their home countries and start churches. And so we're very excited about training them up. They are eager to soak up the word of God and they are eager to go back to their their home countries, these unreached places to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So I'm here to talk a little bit about that ministry. There are prayer cards for you in the back. I think we're gonna have a a sheet for you to sign up uh, for, uh, you can, uh, give us your, your email, and you can be brought onto our newsletter so you get monthly updates on, on our ministry. So there's, there's ways for you to get, in, in, uh, get connected and partner with us that way. So I'm here to share a little bit about that ministry, but there's also a tension that I'm feeling right now because uh, my first love is preaching. I'm a preacher and a Bible teacher, and this is a pulpit, and this is the Lord's day that we're gathered on. And so for me to stand behind a pulpit on the Lord's day and do anything short of preach a sermon from the word of God is a scandal to me. And so rather than spending much more time talking about this ministry in particular, I'd like for us rather to sit under God's word and meditate on his mission to save a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. I want, in other words, for us to let God's word orient us around what we should care about. Because if what my family is doing in the Middle East doesn't align with God's mission on this earth, it may be exciting, but it shouldn't demand our attention. So let's look at Romans 15 together and see what God is up to in history, we're going to start in verse five or verse eight. These are the words of God. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, knowledge, and are able to instruct one another. But one, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for you. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Verse 8 begins with, For I tell you that Christ became a servant. And that first word, for, hearkens us back to the previous passage. We are, after all, jumping right into the middle of an argument that Paul is making. Paul wrote a letter that is, should be read as a whole. He wrote one letter to this church in Rome, and we're jumping right in the middle of an argument. Here, in this part of his argument, he's unpacking the reason for the command that he give, gave in verse 7, which says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul is expanding here in verse 8 on the rationale of welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed them for the glory of God. Now let me say a word about what's going on in Rome when Paul wrote this letter that I think might make this command make a little bit more sense to us. The church that Paul is writing to in Rome was experiencing widening divisions along traditional lines and along ethnic lines. It was a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles and the tensions surrounding those differences and surrounding the backgrounds that they're coming from were beginning to mount. And so Paul is concerned about their unity. And he's concerned about their unity for a number of reasons. The most pressing reason that he wants them to be unified is, as we will see from this passage, their unified praise of God is what God intends. It is more glorifying to God and more edifying for them and is even a fulfillment of God's purpose for them to be a unified body bound to one another by their common union 
with Christ. So here's the point. The divisions that this church was experiencing were not honoring to God. He was not pleased with their divisions. And Paul was jealous for God's glory among the Roman Christians. He wanted for them to glorify God, and he knew that it was more glorifying for them to be united. But there was a practical motivation for Paul as well that is in line with this more theological reason. You see, Paul intended to visit Rome on his way to Spain. He had hoped that Rome would be a sending church for him, a church that that could supply for him and support him and pray for him and encourage him as they sent him out from their congregation so that he could go to Spain and preach the gospel there, which is not something that they would be uh, prepared to do if, when he arrived, this church was still ravished by division. They wouldn't be set up to support him and send him off. And so he wanted for them to be unified very practically so that they would be more prepared to send him off. And so in verse 7, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For verse 8, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jew, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Christ came, he says, to serve the Jews so that through his service of the Jews, his fulfillment, his fulfilling God's promises to the patriarchs, the Gentiles might actually be included and blessed. He's saying God's purpose was always for Jews and Gentiles to be united. He's saying he came, Christ came to serve the Jews for the benefit of the Jews and for the benefit of the Gentiles. In other words, Gentiles glorifying God is not merely some bonus benefit of what Christ came to accomplish. That was his plan from the very beginning. The promise to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was that their descendants would be blessed and multiplied, and through their lineage, all the nations would be blessed, not just the Jews. And so when Paul is inviting Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who were hostile towards one another, when he invites them to welcome one another, he's not offering them his mere preference. He's telling them to conform to God's purposes for them. And now he's going to prove this. He's going to prove that this is God's purpose for them by showing them that this was God's purpose all throughout the Old Testament. And this next section here, this is amazing. In this next section, Paul quotes from every major section of the Old Testament. From the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible, the law, the prophets and the writings. All of these sections of the Old Testament testify to the same reality. That is, that God is concerned with getting praise, not just from the Jews, but from all the nations. And so in verse 9, he quotes from 2 Samuel 22 verse 50 says, as it is written, therefore, I will praise your name among the Gentiles and sing your name. In verse 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. 
In verse 11, he quotes from Psalm 117. So we've read a historical testimony. We've read a law testimony from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And now we're reading from the, the writings, from the, the uh, Psalms. And again, it is said, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then in verse 12, he quotes from the prophets. Isaiah chapter 11, Paul says in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Now, all of these references are incredibly interesting, but I wanna land here on this last one in Isaiah. This quote from Isaiah chapter 11 describes the Davidic Messiah. That is, Jesse, he says, the root of Jesse. What does that mean? Well, Jesse was King David's father. And so the Messiah who would come is going to be a type of David. He's going to be a Davidic king, a Davidic Messiah. That God is going to raise him up to deliver his people and restore them to himself once again. But even for Isaiah, this is the interesting thing. Even for Isaiah, the expectation was not for the Messiah to come and benefit the Jews exclusively. This root of Jesse would rule the Gentiles. And in him, in this Davidic Messiah, the Gentiles would hope. He is the hope, not just of Israel. He is the hope of all the nations. And this root of Jesse is obviously Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God who assumed a human nature in the womb of Mary, who came and lived in perfect obedience to the law of God, who died as a sinless substitute to atone for the sins of his people, who was buried in the grave, who defeated death when he rose three days later and who ascended to the heavens where he rules and reigns and from there will one day return. He is the hope of all the nations. And this is no afterthought. Paul is saying God has been working to this end, to the praise of his name, not just in Israel, but among all the nations from the very beginning. He told his people that this is what he's up to on planet earth. He told them all the way back in the very beginning of the scriptures and he has never stopped telling us that this is what he's up to. So welcome one another because that is what God is up to on this planet. He wants you to welcome one another. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I want us to appreciate what Paul identifies as the glue that holds Jews and Gentiles together. This is fascinating. This is, if there is a word that speaks to our divided culture right now, I think it's this. What is the glue? What brings people from different ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds? What brings them together? What brings people together? It's not social reform. It's not education. It's not some shared perspective on the earthly level. It's praise. It is the praise of the one true triune God, camaraderie among fellow Christians of different ethnic uh, identities or ages or demographics or socioeconomic classes or nationalities cannot be artificially drummed up. You can't just say, hey, let's just all get on one page together. You can't do that. It can't be artificially drummed up. It arises organically as we collectively live more and more to the glory of Christ. 
the more consumed we are by the praise of this glorious God, the more camaraderie we will experience with everyone else who likewise is consumed by the praise of this same God. There are Christians on the other side of this planet that have literally nothing in common with any of you except for the fact that they love Jesus. And that is plenty. That is so plenty. That's a unity that transcends circumstances. And it's the only kind that can weather the storms of political and social upheaval. It matters. Praise Praise of this one true God matters. Verse 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And so now with this verse, Paul is shifting his point of interest. He's shifting his point of interest from the big picture of things to his personal relationship to the Roman church. And he's not speaking weightless words of flattery here. He really is grateful for the work that God has accomplished among the Roman Christians. We're gonna see that in a little bit, a little bit later. Verse 15, he says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. That is, you know many of these things that I've emphasized in this letter, but I'm writing to remind you of these things. I'm writing boldly to remind you of these things. He continues, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offerings of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, the imagery here in this verse is incredibly interesting. Maybe you didn't see it. Let me point it out to you. This is fascinating that he's describing his ministry in priestly terms. Paul says, first of all, that God made him a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's not all that surprising. Paul often describes himself uniquely as a minister to the Gentiles. That's not all that interesting or different than what he normally says about himself. But then he goes on to describe his ministry in priestly terms, that he ministers before God in terms of sacrificial offerings. This is atypical for Paul. He doesn't typically describe himself in these terms. This description of priestly sacrificial offerings should conjure up in your mind this sort of sacred solemnity. It's not common ministry, but a holy one that is formal and mysterious and awe-inspiring. But the most shocking thing about this passage of all, the most shocking detail of all, is that the sacrifices that Paul presents to God are not animal sacrifices like the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament. They are the Gentiles themselves. That's his offering. That's his gift to God. The Gentiles that he ministers to, as sanctified by the Holy Spirit, are his offering to God. Now, Paul isn't saying that this offering is atoning for sin or anything like that. Jesus Christ alone is the high priest who offers the atoning sacrifice for sin. And he alone is the sinless lamb of God who is the atoning sacrifice for sin. So this sacrificial priestly offering of Paul's is not atoning for sin in any way. But he is saying that he ministers to the Gentiles as an act of sacred worship to God. He endeavors to present his listeners, his students, back to God as an act of worship. The spirit-wrought holiness 
of his listeners is what he revels in before God. Not in a self-justifying way, but in a grateful and adoring way. As if to say, Lord, you have entrusted these people to me and I offer them back to you. Having taught them the gospel, adorned by the holiness of your Holy Spirit. Here they are, God. They are my pride and joy. This is what I've done with the investment that you've given me of these listeners. I've taught them the gospel and I revel in their growth in the gospel. Their progress in the gospel, their joy in God is his great delight and aspiration as a minister. Their worship is what Paul will give an account to God for on the last day and he's eager to do it. And by the way, this is how Pastor Daniel views you. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there is nothing that delights him more than to see you grow in the knowledge of God to see you confess sin, to see you killing your sin, to see you pursuing holiness, to see you hiding the word of God in your heart, to see you progressing in the gospel. That's what he revels in before God. I had the great joy last week to write a letter to a dear brother pastor who's on his deathbed. He's, he has months, weeks to live. And I had the joy of reminding him that he will stand before God one day and give an account for the people that he has faithfully ministered to very quietly for 30 years. And he will have nothing to be ashamed of. I've seen the fruit of his ministry. Very quiet ministry, nothing flashy about it. Just 30 years of continuously feeding his people the word of God. And he's going to hear Jesus Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I've been thinking about, Lord, who will be my people that I will give an account for on this last day? And I've been thinking about these people that I'm, minister, that I'm going to minister to in the Middle East. And it, it is my great ambition to present them to God without being ashamed. To say, Lord, you have entrusted these people to me. And I offer them back to you, having taught them the gospel, having trained them up in the gospel. Here they are, my pride and my joy. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. That is his offering, the Gentiles sanctified by the spirit. Not proud in himself, but proud of what God has done through him. He goes on, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Notice how all of these things in Paul's life and ministry are things that we might be tempted to focus on, but Paul simply identifies them merely in passing as a means to an end. You see, Powerful words and deeds and signs of spiritual power. I want more details, Paul. Tell me more about that. And he doesn't care because he's not drawing attention to himself through these things. He's pointing them out as evidences of God's power through him. That's what he's concerned with. He has this single-minded vision for God to be glorified. And he's only appealing to these powerful signs and wonders wrought by the Spirit as intending to bring about the, gent- the, the obedience of the Gentiles simply as a means to an end. It's all serving to the end of more worshipers on this earth. 
He doesn't call attention to them as reasons for admiring him. All of these things, Paul insists, are the things that he has done in Christ. They are things that Christ has worked through him. And so he is consumed with a single-minded intention to be useful for Christ. That's a holy ambition. I just want to be useful for Christ. Verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is consumed with orienting his life around the mission of God. Remember, that was the first half of this sermon. What is God's mission? God's mission is to have a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, worshiping him through Christ. And Paul is consumed with orienting his life around that greater mission of God. Paul's mission is to spend his life in service to this divine mission. He endeavors to be a tool at the disposal of God in this great work. And his unique call in this great work is to be a pioneer missionary, which is to say his ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. In other words, he wants to go to places where people say, Jesus who? Right? That's like nowhere here. (laughs) It's not saying that ministry anywhere in the states where people know who Jesus' name is meaningless. No, there is a significant uh, work of, of building up the kingdom of God through that kind of ministry. That kind of ministry, too, is absolutely essential in the process of the knowledge of God covering the earth like the waters cover the sea, as the prophets say. But that's not the kind of work that Paul has been set apart for. He has a unique ministry. He's been set apart to lay fresh foundations for the gospel so that others can build off of those foundations. He's eager for others to build off of those foundations, but his work is to lay fresh foundations. He aspires to go where Christ is not named, preaching the message of the cross so that, quote, those who have never heard will understand. Not just those who have heard and have rejected it, but those who have never heard will understand. And this is why we are so eager to go to the Middle East as gospel ambassadors from around the world to train up gospel ambassadors from around the world who can take the years of training that we will pour into them back to their home, home countries, hard to reach places to invite many, many more men and women that you and I will never meet to be glad in Christ and to sing for joy. We don't want to give them a thimble full of theological training, just, just a wee bit of biblical training. No, we want to pour years of training into them so that they can take that ministry back to their home countries. I'm thinking of men like Negusi, the church planter from Ethiopia that ministered to my wife and I for a while in a mall in Abu Dhabi as he was preparing to do ministry among the Amharic people from his home country in Ethiopia. He is on a track to move to Addis, Ethiopia to plant a church there. I'm thinking of men like Pedro from Angola or Oscar from Colombia or Josh from Pakistan or John from India or Anwar from Lebanon who all had very similar stories. Faithful men who are equipped and becoming equipped to go back to their home countries to meet others that we will never meet to tell them about the irresistible glory of Christ. And listen, Christian, 
the mission, the mission of the church will succeed. God's purpose on this planet for all people, for, for people from every tribe and tongue and nation will succeed. How do I know that? Because it's not just our mission. It's God's mission. And God's purpose cannot be thwarted. Revelation chapter seven shows us how the story ends. This is how the story ends. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That, friends, and nothing short of that is what Jesus Christ purchased with his blood on the cross. He purchased the gladness of the nations. We just read it this morning as our call to worship, Psalm 67. That's the flock for whom he laid down his life, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so we go, we go to the nations and we declare Christ has risen and he has purchased you with his blood and he is the rightful Lord over the nations. And so cease your rebellion and swear allegiance to him. And if you do, He will atone for your sins. He will bring you into his kingdom with full amnesty and he will make you a member of his royal family. That's the offer. And this is the sure outcome of the mission of God. This is why we send wave upon wave of missionaries to smash against the dam of unbelief. They can smash against that barricade over and over again and nothing is wasted. Though believers may live and die in Christ without seeing any fruit from their labor in this life. They can spend their lives gladly because they know how the story ends. They know that Ethiopians and Angolans and Colombians and Pakistanis and Indians and Lebanese and Afghanis and Ukrainians and Russians will stand before the throne of God and worship him. Friends, knowing how the story ends should invigorate our efforts. We literally cannot lose. Even if we die, we don't lose. So let me conclude with these charges from God's word. I have one that is to every person who's here, whether you're a Christian or not. I'm not going to be presumptuous. I don't know you, so I don't know if everyone here is a Christian or not. So the first charge is to everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. The second charge is for the Christians here. And the third charge is for anyone who may be here who's not a Christian. So the first charge is this, to everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. The charge from God's word is to worship God. Friends, this is what we were made for. Now, this, this may sound like a foregone conclusion, but it, it's not. This, this is not something that can be taken for granted. When I think about the world that we live in, one where self-obsession reigns, and self-worship is the governing principle, it makes my heart break. Oh, how far is the distance between what we were made to be as a race, as a human race, and what we actually are. Between what we were created to concern ourselves with and what we actually concern ourselves with. Friends, we trifle. 
we concern ourselves with and fret over and strive towards such pitiful, trivial little things. The idols of our world are lacking of no devoted worshipers. We care about nature and sexual desires and the opinions of others and money and reputation and safety and feelings. Those are our idols. We care about those things more than anything else. And this is not just true for non-believers. We Christians are so little concerned with the worship of the triune God as well. When we pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, I trust you know it, the Lord's Prayer, one of those early petitions, our Father who is in heaven, that first petition, hallowed be your name. When we pray that prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are begging for God to set his name apart as holy and revered. God, hallow your name. Hallow it. Make it holy in my life. Make it holy in my home, in my church, in my workplace, on my run, on my drive, when I eat, when I sleep, in my church. May your holy name be the gravity, the center of my life here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Oh, brothers and sisters, do we want that? Do we want the recognition of God's holy, holy, holy name to be as commanding here on earth as it is in heaven? I pray we do. Oh, that we would contemplate him and live toward him and never be satisfied with the minimal amount of his influence on our lives. Oh, that we would consecrate our whole lives and set every bit of ourselves apart for him and his glory so that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of Christ. So that's the first charge. Worship him. Reserve nothing. There was a time in my life when I waffled, I was on the fence, and I knew that I could either continue to live my life as a nominal Christian, or I could just throw myself on whole hog into the service of God. And I have never regretted the decision to just go all in, to just say, I'm not going to play around with my life. I wanna live entirely for Christ. I've never regretted that decision. Friends, if you're there and you know what I'm talking about, how much do I really, do I want to be like a a fanatical Christian or do I want to just be like a, a cultural Christian, just like a normal American Christian? Oh, don't settle. Friends, don't settle. It is so much better to just throw your life entirely into the service of God. Second charge is for the Christians here. The charge is this, be about the mission of God. This is not a select call for a select class of Christians. I'm afraid that we do ourselves a great disservice when we talk about missions people. Oh, the Parkinsons, of course they're going to the Middle East. They're missions people. Nope, we're not. We, we, several years ago, if you would have told us that we were heading overseas to the Middle East, we would not have believed you. It's just nowhere on our radar. But we're going, not because we're missions people, but because we're Christians And Christians are missions people. Now, don't get me wrong. Not everyone has the unique call on their lives to go to the nations, to be pioneer Christians, to uproot your family, to move to a totally different context for the sake of the spread of Christ's name to the nations. Not everybody is called to that. And Paul did not despise or look down upon those who built on his foundation. He went and laid fresh foundations and then he left with the 
expectation that Christians would stay there. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul did not look down upon that. In fact, the gospel, friends, spreads most often in imperceptible ways, like leaven slowly and surely filling out a loaf. And so we're not doing ourselves any favors by underestimating the missional potency of things like raising children who fear God or coding programs, computer programs to the glory of God or grinding and pouring coffee to the glory of God or running a business to the glory of God or going to your kid's t-ball game to the glory of God, et cetera, et cetera. There's potency there. So not every Christian is called to be a pioneer missionary who goes to the nations. But listen, I can't, this is not an underestimate, this is not a, a rhetorical overestimation. I mean this without a hint of exaggeration. Every Christian must be concerned with the nations becoming glad and singing for joy in Christ. Every Christian. Hear me say this as clearly as I can. Christ's mission, his mission is to redeem a bride from every tribe and tongue and nation so that the nations would be glad and sing for joy and God's glory would be celebrated from coast to coast. That's what Christ is doing. That's what he's up to. And if we're Christians, we care about what Christ is doing. If we're Christians, we should be orienting our life around that. And if you're not orienting your life in such a way as to be a part of that mission, then your Christian life is in a major way sub-Christian. It's sub what God intends for it to be. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just saying it's, it's falling short of what God intends if we're not orienting our life to be part of what God is doing on this planet to save a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. So listen, not all of us are goers, but we are all at least senders, which means this is, this is how it gets really practical. You're saying, how does this get really practical? We, we give to the SBC. SBC dollars goes towards the cooperative program, which sends out missionaries. So we are senders in that sense. I want to say, yes, you are senders in that sense. But I want for you to embrace an identity as a church to be a Great Commission church. It means that the Great Commission is our collective mission. It's not the mission of the missionaries that you support only. It's your mission too. So when you send missionaries out from your midst, don't be passive in that call. Take ownership. May it be your identity as a church that you would be a sending and a going church to say, we have brothers and sisters who are across the globe and we're gonna hold the rope for them as they descend down into those dark places. We're going to support them by praying for them. We're gonna support them financially and we're going to be here to encourage them when they return home. They are our representatives. We have people, they're our people who are overseas. That's how you participate. It's your mission. It's not just my mission. It's not just the mission of the IMB missionaries who are going overseas. It's our mission. That's what it means to be a Christian, to take ownership of this great commission call. Third and finally, this last charge is to anyone who may be here who is not a Christian, who's visiting. I wanna say, I'm glad that you're here. If you're not a believer, I am glad that you're here. Even if most of what I've said today has been aimed at the Christians. And I wanna point out that Paul, when he wrote to these Christians in 
Romans 15, verse 7. He said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Which means that if Christ has welcomed them, it means they too were at one point estranged from Christ. Christ had to welcome them because they were estranged from him. That's great news. Why is that great news? It's great news if you're a non-Christian because it means that your distance from Christ this very moment is not a hindrance to him welcoming you. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. That is the charge. That's the name of a small book by the Puritan pastor, John Bunyan. And in that book, he writes this. I wanna close with this and I want you to hear these words. If you're a non-Christian, I want you to hear these words with an open heart. This is an invitation from me to you. This is what John Bunyan says. Who may have this life? this eternal life that is in Christ. I answer, poor, helpless, miserable sinners, (laughs) particularly such that are willing to have it. He that thirsteth for it, he that is weary of his sins, he that is poor and needy, he that followeth after him and crieth for life. Upon what terms may he have this life? What are the terms and conditions of this eternal life? He says, freely, sinner, Dost thou hear? Thou mayest have it freely. Let him take the water of life freely, freely without money or without price. Sinner, art thou thirsty? Art thou weary? Art thou willing? Come then and regard not your stuff for all the good that is in Christ is offered to the coming sinner without money and without price. He has life to give away to such as want it and that hath not a penny to purchase it and he will give it freely. Oh, what a blessed condition is the coming sinner in. Does that sound good to you? If you're not a Christian, does that sound good to you? The the living water freely. He that wants to have eternal life can have it freely. Does that sound good to you? Then come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord, take this word and do with it what no mere sermon could ever accomplish. Feed our souls with your word now. Nourish us with your presence. May those who are currently excluded from you be drawn in. You bid them to come and welcome. And so may they be drawn into your fold now. And please, Lord, knit our hearts together in love with our global family so that your glory might be reveled in among all the nations. Father, we beg you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Holy Trinity. Amen. Well, I am stirred to the heart with the vision of the Bible and the glory of of God. Are you? I hope you are. I hope every one of us is stirred in these ways. And as Samuel suggested, I am devoted as a pastor to our growing to be more and more mature in Christ. This is why one of our centered commitments is intentional discipleship, expository preaching, and the great commission. This is what 
First Baptist Church of Gallatin is about. Is it not? Amen. Are we committed to pray for Samuel and Shannon and the boys in this work? Are we committed to get together at our members meeting in this coming month in May to deliberate how we might support this family and this great work? I think we're committed to that. Oh, we are great commissioned Baptists. We are Southern Baptists. We love this vision. And oh, I've been cut to the heart. Even last week at the the conference, I've been convicted as your pastor, convicted to hear that 99% of missions giving, 99%, as Samuel had mentioned, is going not to the unreached areas, but to the reached areas. And praise God for that ministry, as Samuel also said. Praise God for all the reached areas. Praise God for the local reached areas in ways in which we're building up disciples for the glory of Christ, even here in this town. But I want to be about reaching and pursuing the nations, as we saw in the call to worship in Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, in verse 3, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. How will they be praising God unless they hear? And how will they hear if, unless they have a preacher sent to them, as Romans 10 suggests? Oh, I hope we're excited. Our response time now, as we hear the word, is to respond to what the word has revealed. Every one of us in our seats, and we're going to stand together and sing a song of response. Samuel and I will be up front to pray for you and with you about whatever's going on. If you'd like one of us to come back to you and you don't feel comfortable coming forward, just raise your hand up. We could come to you and pray for you for whatever's going on in your life. But I want every last one of us here in this church and anybody who's watching from home, I want us all to be considering how we might respond to the glory of God to the nations. And we're going to have an opportunity this next month to be doing that and thinking about that a lot. Praise God for that. You've also heard the gospel preached to you. If you've believed the gospel and if you've been stirred to hear the gospel for the first time, we want to hear about that. If you're going through difficulties, we're here for you to pray for whatever's going on in your life and marriage and family and parenting. As Samuel even mentioned, or work, we are here to know and pray about that. However you need prayer, we're here for you. We'll even come out to you. But let's all respond, whether we come forward or whether we sit or stand near our seats. Let's all respond to God's word today. And not just today, into the months and years ahead at our church. For God's glory and for the people's good. Amen? Let's stand and sing, church.